0: hello and welcome to pff fantasy football podcast strategy edition i'm ian hurt joining me as always the one the only dwayne the rock mcfarlane dwayne we talked about doing some of these podcasts all summer it's august 10th i think it's finally time let's help show some people how to freaking win a fantasy football championship
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, and some of this was based on some of the other strategy stuff that we've talked about, and then just questions people have had. Like, well, what if you start this way? What if you start this way? And so I just thought it'd be a good idea to like just map a few of those out for folks. Like, because the way you start your draft really does determine like the next steps that you're thinking about as you're going through it and what might be the potential targets, all those sort of things. So, yeah, you know me, I'm always down to talk strategy, down to talk drafts. Uh, love it
0: if you guys have checked out Dwayne and I's uh, we've had three drafts now in the football guys championships, as we kind of talk to our strategy without it, you will notice pretty quickly that, you know, this is one of those things where Dwayne let's let's let everyone say it with us. Every season is different. Every draft is a dynamic living organism. So yes, today we're going to talk about the running back, running back, running back start. And we'll be clear plenty of times throughout this, but this is just based on if the draft falls the way, you can feasibly get this done with great players and still have plenty of other time and options throughout the draft to fill out the rest of your roster. So Dwayne, while we really, you know, this strategy is great sometimes other times, and you had another article come out, I believe yesterday about the wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver start. So just want to make that clear that this is one draft strategy that, yeah, we do think you can pull off if you're in the right position, the right players fall to you, but we're not necessarily putting this ahead of, you know, other strategy types.
1: Yeah. I still prefer starting my drafts um, with a combo wide receiver running back, whether it's the running back in the first round, the wide receiver, you know, in the second, typically if I'm drafting at the top half of a draft, right. I'm trying to get JT or CMC if I can, you know, and then come back with a receiver. But if I'm drafting towards the end, you know, of, of, of the first round, I'm usually going receiver first and maybe coming back with a Barkley. So I still like those. It keeps you balanced, but I do think we've got a unique opportunity this year to go RB, RB, RB. It's not even just about being in the draft year. And every year is just a little bit different. And so we don't always get access to some of the profiles that are available right now in round two and round three. A lot of times these are first round profiles, right? Or they're all jumbled up into the second round. And we don't have any falling into the third round. We'll talk more about like what those archetypes look like, but, but that's the key, right? Because that, opportunity exists in 2022 it makes the three rb it makes the three rb start you know possible obviously you got to understand you know your league format um you know if you're starting you know like when we play ffpc you start two running backs two receivers and you have two flex spots right so i mean it's that just opens up even more flexibility for the way you may want to build your roster versus if you've got to start with three if you've got to start three wide receivers on only one flex like it changes things
0: Again, top three points that Dwayne makes at the beginning of the article, which you can find on pff.com. Running backs carry the highest ceilings, but we must focus on the right profiles and archetypes. We have several options that meet our profile criteria in rounds two and three this year, which doesn't occur every season. And based on current ADP, we have a lot of options to build out the rest of our roster at quarterback, receiver, and tight end. So, Dwayne, one point you just made, though, is how things can change depending on your league and scoring type. With that said, the, I guess, having running backs just breaking fantasy football and things go right for them. That doesn't really change necessarily by the different league type. Now, we know in standard running backs we're going to more more commonly populate you know the top 12 overall scores versus PPR, but PPR, half PPR, standard, you found that regardless of that man, the highest performing players in that tend to be running backs.
1: Yeah, so like if you just look at the top 3 finishers across the, you know, wide receiver, running back, tight end positions. In PPR, 67% of them since 2011 have been running back. have been wide receivers. So that tells you your top, top end outcomes. If you're really aiming for them every year, typically come from the running backs. Two out of three players are going to be running backs. If you go to the top five, it's 56%, 42%. Then in PPR, you see where the zero RB draft could start to become valuable. Because once you get inside the top 10, it flips wide receivers make up 54% of the group and running backs are only 41%. So that illustrates that sometimes there are too many running backs going in the first round. We know injuries and things like that play a role. We know that wide receivers typically don't have as many injuries. And that's why you will see some people start wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, which to your point, I cover in another article. Maybe we'll do a pod on that later. But once you get to half PPR, the top three. 79%. So it, once you move from PPR to half PPR, you should care even more about running backs. And then to your point, once you're in standard, 91% You know of the top three are running backs. Hell, in the top 25 in standard leagues, you're still leading running backs, 56% to 40%. The other thing with this data that I just mentioned, I didn't even do that at points per game, Ian. I did it at just points. And the reason why is this is also factoring in that we got a lot of running backs to get hurt. It didn't matter. They still... Were the top. This is not just points per game. The best players, so the running backs that did stay healthy, still typically outscored the receivers. Now you got to get them right. You know, you don't want the hurt one. And <laughs> That can be tough. That can be tough to pick out. So that's why zero RB is still valid, even though that this, you know, that these data points play out. Like if you want to look at it, though, even from a points per game like since 2011, we've seen 34 players e- eclipse 22 points per game in PPR, which is a really big score. 68 percent of those were running backs. So when we go to points per game and we would expect that, right, most people, I think, would expect there to be a bigger fall off from that 68% to the 67% when we remove points per game, right? Because running backs miss more games on average every single year. And that just wasn't the case. So you got to avoid the landmines, but the, the high ceiling upsides for running backs are typically just higher than wide receivers across all scoring formats.
0: And, Again, this is if you happen to go RB, RB, RB. But if it just makes more sense to go wide receiver early, you can break it up at that point. Because Dwayne, you know, it's not every year you have guys like Isaiah Pacheco just waiting for you out there. You know, <laughs> someone that you can get. Yeah. You know, 30 games. 30 I don't even feel like I need to every- draft
1: a running back until like round twelve anymore <laughs> with Isaiah Pacheco around.
0: <laughs> just, just uh, no RBs <laughs> with no Isaiah Pacheco. Your Pacheco My-
1: game was so on point yesterday. I had three that I had already thought of the night before, and when you started firing yours off, I was like, I'm not even doing like Ian like has got them all and I loved yours I just retweeted all yours so I just pivoted I just focused my attention on Bill Belichick yesterday but uh, it's yeah so hey just real quick some people like to hear an illustration right of this no no hold on
0: hold on i have one more thing about pacheco before we never talk about him again just the it's (laughs) it's so funny and for the record like i'm not just completely out on pacheco i just find the hype that's coming purely from training camp to be absolutely ridiculous again jj Zacharyson, you know had a really good note in his late round uh just draft guide about the size speed kind of uh uh, prospect comps that Pacheco has, and you go look at his Spark X score. Like, I get it. The dude is an athletic specimen, and, specimen, and wouldn't it be the first time for, you know, an unheralded guy out of Rutgers to maybe find a little more success, uh, you know, in more of a just good football environment? It's just the hype is so ridiculous to me. And Dwayne, I tweeted out today, like, we had Nick Jacobs, the Chiefs reporter, tweet out three videos of Ronald Jones, Claude Ebersolaire, and Isaiah Pacheco. I watched them all. They're all just reasonable pass protection, pickups, and one-on-one. The Ronald Jones one has 6.4 thousand views. The Clyde Edwards-Lair one has 10.6 thousand views. Isaiah Pacheco, 117 thousand views. It's just wild, man. And maybe it works out, but there still is a legit chance that Isaiah Pacheco just doesn't even get a touch this season. It's madness to me. But now that I got that off my chest, Dwayne, let's get back to- uh but to your you know, point, people hear what read.
1: they want. The, yeah, and I honestly, I wonder. I I when I when I saw those tweets come out because I actually follow him, and I saw them all hit pretty much like back to back to back. And my immediate thought was, he create was he performing some sort of social experiment where his hypothesis was that like because Pacheco's like so blazed right now, right? It's going to be like what you said, and it totally played out that way. It worked. People yeah. hear what they want, and people are searching for Pacheco all the time right now. And so, anyway, yeah. So real quick, just to kind of. Illustrate the point we made earlier, and we'll jump into these profiles, but this perfect storm doesn't happen all the time. So in 2017, we got it. If you were drafting early you had early position in your draft, you got to take Le'Veon Bell. In the second round, people were worried about Todd Gurley. We had Sean McVay coming in, but people were worried about Gurley, who played, you know, after coming off of an injury in his rookie season. You know, he had been hurt, you know, the year before at Georgia. And so, you know it wasn't great. Like the yards per carry and things weren't there, but his overall profile was still really strong. That paired with the fact that there were rumors, Lance Dunbar would still the passing down work. Some of you folks remember this. Lance Dunbar is going to get all the receiving work. People just started fading early and he started falling into, you know, the, the late second round. Then you have Spencer Ware go down. Kareem Hunt starts to climb up draft boards, but he never got like, he got up to third round. A lot of people got really nervous. Um, he made it to the third round though, because back then, you know, we had the Andy Reed, you know, uh narrative like if you played running back for Andy Reid and until until Clyde Evers broke that, right? That cool. used to be our narrative for Andy Reed. Like it was Shady like goal, it was like a Jamal gold mine.
0: charles Like one after Brian Westbrook. Yeah, Brian before, Westbrook it's like, not like not just RB1s, like the RB1 seemingly year after year after year.
1: But in that example, you could have started your draft with Le'Veon Bell. Okay. He fit a specific archetype, pass catching back. Uh you could have had Todd Gurley also, a back that like is explosive, more of the Javonta Williams profile that we're talking about this year, and then you had a Kareem Hunt back, which is really more you know what we knew about Kareem Hunt then you know we didn't know everything we know today, like now we know he's this elite runner and pass receiving back back then, we thought, hey, just at least an upside you know uh running back and an offense that we really like. If you did that, you would have scored a thousand and thirty p p r points just on those three players that's 67.4 points per game just on those three so when you can hit and you get two two running backs right and you get a running back right in the flex like man it's really hard for your league mates to overcome it it doesn't honestly like they've got to be super loaded to deal with that even if the rest of your roster isn't that great i mean think about the scores that a lot of you know in your leagues and then just imagine 67.4 right off the top every week out of three players it's just huge and that's why Going back to the ceilings, if you can hit, it's worth it. D- to Ian's point, doesn't mean you do it every draft. So let's talk about the profiles like that you want to look at. So you don't want to do this with just any three backs. So what I did is I went back, and I'm going to hit these things pretty quick. If you guys want to go back and see every detail, you can go check it out in the article. But essentially, I put together, this is what the 20-point-per-game running back profile looks like. I did exclude any backs that didn't play at least 14 games for this going back to 2011. So number one is age. 21 of the 27, so 78% are 25 or younger. They, On average, they were 24.6 six years old. So doesn't mean we can't take a guy that's 26 or 27. Just listen. But typically, they are younger, right? So that's one criteria I was looking for. Passing game. They need to have a route to at least 50% of the routes. They need to have a route to 50% <laughs> of the routes. That's funny. A path. They need a pathway to 50% of the routes. On average, those backs handled 62% of the passing downs are not downs, but the routes on their team when their quarterbacks were throwing. Okay. So 1.30 yards per route run, 20% targets per route run. Um, we're, we're what we're looking for here. So then you look at the rushing game on average, they handled 60% or more, or sorry, you wanted at least 81% of them handled 60% or more average of 67%. 85% of them earned 60% or more of their attempts inside the five. So what are we talking about? High leverage touches again, passing game, Getting the carries inside the five. This, in fact, is what sent Austin Eckler to the moon last year. He took over all of that work inside the five that he had never gotten before. We all knew he was a good receiving down back, but then he picked up the next you know, thing that we want the most, which is the carries inside the five. Then lastly, 22 out of 27, or 82% of these of these backs, best of the league average and explosive rush rate, which is 10.5%. And so on average, they hit 13%. So what are we looking for? We're looking for explosive playmakers, We'd like to know they have an opportunity to be on the field inside the five. We really want them want them on the field for the passing game. So here's the tough part. We don't always know what their utilization is going to look like, which is why I also gave you the efficiency data points, because a lot of times we do have that. We can know, like, is the player actually explosive? Are they good in the passing game? Is If they were to earn more routes, could they actually earn more targets? So you kind of got to put all the things together, but based on that, and I'll let you ask any questions you have here, Ian, or if I didn't clarify anything right, but those are the essential things you're looking for. A couple of exceptions that I just looked at. Any of the backs that missed that 50% route participation, guess what? They handled 70% plus of the work inside the five. So you can be an either or. You'd rather a player be both. And then the other exception is of all the backs that missed that 60% rush share that we talked about, they all were over 50% in route participation and over 50% in attempts inside the five. So, you don't necessarily have to be the bell cow in your offense as long as you're still getting the other high leverage, you know, touches. So that's the essential profile for the twenty point uh, plus RB profile. Before we jump into the names,
0: Dwayne, I'm happy you just spoke it out and you and you describe it here again. It's it's easier to go in and just list your here are my favorite RBs this year because they're all really good and you know their ADP isn't that far from where I'm ranking them anyway. But this is the sort of you know I think work that maybe doesn't fit into a thread, but it is sort of essential to actually building a profile of a prospect, you know, really attacking those three kind of pillars, the opportunity, the talent, and the offensive environment uh, there. You could argue that, you know, strength of schedule, matchups and stuff kind of goes into the fourth pillar, but obviously with running back, just, you know, really lean more and more into opportunity and team environment. And before we get into the actual season, you know, we've talked about just the difficulties and trying to project strength of schedule too far into the future. So now, Joint, we are looking for younger running backs that have been really good and look like they're going to have a really good opportunity i mean at its core that's what we're trying to target but not these too, guys... not really not rocket science is it it's not rocket science <laughs> but this goes back to your original point where these guys usually aren't really available in rounds two or three, because if they're checking all these boxes, everyone realizes it because it isn't exactly rocket science and they are actually usually gone inside the first 12 picks. Luckily, Dwayne, we have some of those guys, Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler, Dalvin Cook. They basically qualify in round one. Rounds two and three, though, this is why we're feeling confident about the RB, RB, RB start, because all those factors we just talked about, we actually have some qualifiers in rounds two and round three.
1: Yeah, and I think the number one name that sticks out is Saquon Barkley. And what's funny with Saquon is most people know. I mean, I think most people will admit, like, Saquon's going to start the year as the every down option on this team. But why we're getting the discount is people can't get past the fact that Saquon has burned them in the past. He's cost them a first or a second-round pick for multiple years, and he's been hurt. And so people really struggle to get that out of their mind, and that's why we're getting this discount this year. Guess what? If Saquon blows up this year, Next year, what's going to happen? One, Saquon's moving up the board. And number two, people are going to worry less about a back that profiles similarly to him in round two if they had an injury the year before. Because what will they do? But look at Saquon last year. He did it, and he was hurt. It, this We just live in a repeat cycle, right, where these little mini narratives like repeat themselves over and over. And all we really remember are the last two years, and that's why you're getting a discount on Saquon. Like you mentioned earlier, we don't need to cover everything about Saquon. We've covered him at length. You guys can go check the article out. But look, explosive playmakers going to catch passes. The, the biggest question I think you could ask about Saquon, and you know uh, Evan asked us about this, You know, is just do we really think the explosiveness is still there? And we can't say for sure. But look, man, at age 25, I'm just – I'm betting that, yes, <laughs> that his explosiveness well, is going to return. Did,
0: you know, what explosiveness did Najee Harris have last season? And it didn't matter because of the overwhelming volume attached to it. That's my po- main point with Saquon. Well, that's but- the
1: floor with Saquon, right? As long as he's not hurt, you get, I mean, honestly, I think you're getting Najee's floor. You're, you're, even right. if he's not, if he's not explosive, but if he's, if his explosiveness does return, you get CMC.
0: And I'm right. not trying to shit on Najee. I know that the uh, offensive line uh, you had let issues. Me do that, but yeah. yeah right. <laughs> no, but exactly what you're saying. Like, and people, you know, I was joking on Twitter how like you're never really excited to hit draft now on Najee in the first round. But hey, it certainly didn't kill your fantasy team last year. Maybe didn't win you the title. But man, if that's the floor for a second round running back, Dwayne, just on volume alone, like it's going to be hard for anyone, anyone, anyone with a pulse, man. You get them over 300 touches, they're probably going to return top 12 running back value.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, and, and that's the thing I love about Barkley. Honestly, I just, I mean, I love drafting Saquon Barkley in round two because of that. So the next guy would be DeAndre Swift. Most of you know about Swift. You know how good he is in the passing game. You also know that he's an explosive playmaker. So we don't need to really recap all those things. But his targets per route, like they're really good. Like just below like the Camara CMC levels, twenty four percent and twenty five percent, two years in a row. So this is wasn't just a flash. Like he's really good in the receiving game. They like to use him there. The biggest obstacle for Swift is can he really have the carries inside the five last year? We never really honestly got a clear beat on it because he and Jamal one, they didn't get a ton of opportunities inside the five. Number two, when they did, they typically were not healthy together. So it's not like for sure that that role belongs to, to, to Jamal Williams because we've seen teams like the saints in the past, Dan Campbell roots with what the saints, We've seen teams like the, like the Saints in the past, even though they had Mark Ingram, and is really the passing down back. We've seen those years where Camaro still got most of the work inside the five. So that could happen for DeAndre Swift. But that that's the thing he needs to really click big. Like, I think we feel confident he's going to be an explosive player. Feel confident we're going to get the receiving down work. Feel confident there's probably going to be a lot of game scripts that make DeAndre Swift really good, just like what we saw last year. But if the Lions are more competitive... You know, what does Jamal Williams get? If he steals those carries inside the five, that's the potential, you know, kind of a trapdoor floor to use a Matt Waldmanism uh-huh. on DeAndre Swift.
0: We did see last season in the the 10 games that both guys were pretty much healthy. Williams had a slight lead over Swift in goal line carries, five versus four, but. I'm I'm honestly fine with like sort of a 50-50 split with that, Dwayne, because we really I mean, obviously we want those high leverage touchdowns near the goal line, but as Swift can just keep dominating the targets, like that's what's gonna really help us here in full PPR. And that's what happened in 10 full games with them healthy. i you know, we've both been screaming Jamal Williams's praise all offseason. I remember originally going into the Lions preview and expecting to be lower on Swift than a lot of other people just because of how much respect I had for Jamal Williams, but man. Even in the 10 games with all of them fully healthy, Swift 66% snaps, Jamal 35%. The rush attempts were even 103 versus 102. The targets, though, 62 versus 22, man. Swift 18 PPR points per game, even with Williams healthy, 17 expected PPR points per game. So that's why I like to look at expecting guys like, you know, Debo and Jonathan Taylor, or Nick Chubb, and some of these guys that maybe don't have the most fancy friendly role. Like, Swift doesn't even need to be a superstar, man. As long as they keep peppering him with those targets, Dwayne, did you watch the first episode of Hard Knocks? I'm still behind, but I think I haven't Jamal... watched it yet. Okay, I I it yet. we'll yeah. talk about another time. But I, I think our Jamal Williams uh, value is quickly, uh, quickly going to be drying up here. Yeah, don't let, do not let that distract from everything that Swift can bring to the table, though.
1: So, not quite Jamal Williams, but another Williams oh. with a J in the beginning, Javante. Williams is the next back um, still going in round two he is slipping a little bit right now in ADP uh, because of all the talk really right now with with Melvin Gordon and all I'm going to say about that um, is Melvin Gordon is still a good back right so it's totally possible that we see a 50-50 split I'm still betting on like 60-40 it was honestly more 55-45 down the stretch last year at the end of the year so I think Javante Williams takes another small step forward I think that's reasonable He could still get to 65%, I think. But the biggest thing you're doing with Williams is he's 22. And when you look at his missed tackles force per attempt, 31%. That's plus 14% versus the NFL average. Yards after contact, almost a half yard above the NFL average. And then explosive rush rate, he's he's above the NFL average. In fact, like if you just profile him, he looks like Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb. Now, really smart film folks will to show you that, you know, Javante Williams maybe isn't as good as Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb. And guess what? That's okay. Those are two of the best running backs in the league. And I think there are arguments, and I saw it on the film too with Williams where Vision, I was like, you know, like he probably could have just gone inside and like got an easy 30, you know, but he went outside and broke 17 tackles for, you know, 20. <laughs> so, uh, but at the end, the way I look at that as well, until someone tells me that Vision can improve, I look at it as just another skill that these guys are trying to work on. Because remember, when you play in college, and you're every level, it changes, right? In high school, if you're if you're eventually in the NFL one day, basically you were you were an you were an absolute god. If you're in the NFL one day in high school, you were a god. College. You know, maybe you weren't a god, but like you know, you were like maybe God's child, you know, or something. You know, I mean, you, you maybe you you still have Jesus. That you yeah. you're looking forward to it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, I was gonna go with like Achilles, right? Okay. Like, so you still you still have a you've got a weakness, maybe somewhere in your game. It can be exposed occasionally, <laughs> but if you're going in the NFL and you're gonna be an early round pick like these guys, you can still beat people to the corner, Ian. You can do weird things and make people miss. So I never want to discount a back's ability to actually improve in that area, right? And that's the one thing whenever I see that kind of analysis. And I'll always ask the question. I'll say, "Okay, I see what you're talking about, but is vision static? Just like, you know, is I mean, some things are static. Right. Right. And if someone were to give me really good research around that, I would I would love to see it. But like speed's kind of static. Right. You you can only improve it so much. Like burst is kind of static. You can only improve it so much. There are other things you can continue to get better on. So the way I look at Williams is, well, what if he improves his vision. What if the reason he didn't have great vision is he never freaking needed it in college. Cause he was mm-hmm. just a hoss? So I think those are all the factors, but at the end of the day, like just love the profile. The upside is huge. If something were to happen to Melvin Gordon or they just decide, we're going to give the guy 65% of the offense. And remember folks, it's a way better offense. We have Russell Wilson. Yep. So it's a, and I'm seeing a lot of stuff out there. Like Melvin Gordon's taking over the passing downs. I mean, is he? I I haven't read that. I've read that speculation. I've read that speculated in in articles. Um, I've not seen one quote saying that Melvin Gordon's handling the passing down role. Like, so we just don't really know that. But at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to stand in Javante's will way is his utilization. Everything else lines up really well. Um, Again, this is where you have to remember that ceiling. Yeah. Remember, you got to remember the ceiling. I mean, people even back in the day with, uh, you know, cream hunt, there were folks worried about, well, when Spencer where, you know, comes back like even though his, I think his knee injury was like season ending like but yeah. there was just there's all sorts of weird noise people are going to give you around it but the profile we've seen with with Javante
0: Javante had the 13th most touches in the NFL last year and a little bit of that was him playing 17 games with some of the guys around him not being quite as healthy but th- there seems to be this like Dwayne we're holding Holding this against Javante that he's not like the featured workhorse back in his backfield. And again, we're in round two, usually round three, when we can actually get Javante. Look at every other running back going around him. Like there's a couple guys that we think maybe could get that. Cam Akers to an extent. Uh honestly, like that late though everyone has multiple running backs in their backfield so like I don't want to just hold that yeah Melvin Gordon's there but AJ Dillon's there for Aaron Jones uh Nick Chubb's got to deal with Kareem Hunt or Deioner Johnson Travis Etienne's gonna have to deal with James Robinson Brees Hall Michael Carter Ezekiel Elliott Tony Pollard like Javante Williams isn't the only running back in the league with a little bit of competition in his own backfield I wish it was 2000 Dwayne when we had 19 different running backs (laughs) eclipse 300 touches but in 2021 and 2020 alike there were only four so man, if we're going to have a running back, like almost every other running back in the league, dividing up their touches, we might as well take the guy that we know can make a hell of a lot happen with them.
1: Yeah. And I think the other point is opportunity costs, right? Once you get, you know, when he's going, when Javante goes in the middle of the second round, like I get it with people, right? Cause I'm going to take Barkley over Javante. Like yep. I'm just going to do it. So it's really hard. I don't get Javante very much in the middle of the second round. And there's a lot of aggressive drafters that will now take him there. We didn't have that earlier in the off season. So when you can get him down like at the end at the turn, or you get him coming back around in the third round to me, that's where the opportunity costs start to change. You don't have a Barkley anymore, right? Um, you're now looking at receivers that we've talked about that we like, but all of them also have some slight questions around them, right? We're, we're no longer getting the CD Lamb's gone, right? You're not getting CD lamb anymore. So you're moving into a tier of players where all of them, you know, mostly have good talent profiles and have some sort of question right around them. So for me, when that gets there, I'm like, well, give me the position with the highest ceiling. And that's where Javante really comes into play for me. Like it's Um, never going to
0: end though. Even if Javante just gets an 80, 20 split, there's going to be people wanting 90, 10, like, and we do this too, Dwayne, but i remember last year, like the first five, six weeks of the year, like Jonathan Taylor's usage, like really wasn't good. And then they, they changed it and they really started giving him more of a true three down role. Marlon Mack became just a weekly healthy scratch. Naim Hines wasn't even getting all the pass down work, but even throughout that, Dwayne, you know, we're looking at games where it's like, man, 27 touches. That's the best you could do there for Jonathan Taylor. So I just, again, make sure uh, with all this, well, stuff Jonathan
1: Taylor is, is, is the proof case here that if you just want to look back one year and remember the most recent thing that will make you do this, this is essentially Jonathan Taylor's profile. That's, a, that's what we're dealing with, right? Remember Naheem Hines is an elite receiving down back. A big part of how Jonathan Taylor stayed on the field is the Colts led all the time, right? It worked out in his favor, but it could work out in Javante Williams' favor the same way. And talent has a funny way of being able to correct some of these ills, right? Even Absolutely. if you've got to be able to share some time. So that's the thing you got to remember with Williams. You could be getting this year's Jonathan Taylor. And and again, if you're worried about the vision thing, what if is. Honestly, if Williams gets 65%, I don't even think his vision matters. I think he's going to be a top five back. If somehow he improved his vision, like and he's a better NFL running back, then he has even more upside in my mind. So I, I like Williams, and I'm, I'm hoping that all this news, because it's pretty heavy, I, I'm hoping this news continues to push him down where we can just consistently get him in the third round. Like the next guy we want to talk about, Ian, Travis Real, real quick, though. What, what, yeah, are we
0: even, what are we even talking about? Division for? and real football fans like I, I'm, I love Matt Waldman's analysis. Spoiler: I think he's going to be talking to us uh, next week. That's going to be fantastic. But man, this is just the shit that we always bring up in February through July, and then August. You know, tenth comes around and it's like well, okay, my model might be saying that, you know, Javante's vision is lacking, but did you guys see the training camp report on Isaiah Pacheco? Like, it's just one of those things where I fully understand as someone that played some running back, and I had terrible vision, man. If you told me to run the A-gap and there was four yards available, I got you four, maybe five yards. If there were zero yards, you know. I'm not getting you negative five yards, but I'm also not going to exactly find where the uh, other. So they, never called he,
1: they never called you corner store. You, you weren't a threat to be the corner <laughs> store guy. I got you. I,
0: I think I bounced outside like once or twice. It was
1: always just a. Ian was uh, never I, called 7-11.
0: <laughs> <laughs> never. Not even if there's a fire. I just think that these are things that matter. But man, it's. Let's take the guy that's probably going to be seeing 15 to 20 touches inside of a really good offense. Like we don't need to be overthinking this all the time. But now, join the next guy, Travis Etienne. You still have as a round three player. I'll tell you what, man. The way things are moving with James Robinson looking good, and I think people just being unsure of the situation, I wouldn't even be surprised if we start seeing Etienne slipping to round four.
1: Yeah. So in home leagues, and it's always good for us to clarify this. And so I'm glad you brought it up that way because we get a lot of um, you know questions about this, like making sure we're referencing both, like when we're doing the mm-hmm. shows. And sometimes I forget. But in sharper leagues, going in round round three right now he's like round three pick four at ffpc you and i've been fortunate we've got him at three eight and three ten twice like most that's that's one of the biggest comments i get about our drafts we're like god how do you guys keep getting etn like the fall to you at that pick um but in home leagues you know so espn yahoo and based on the queue and the way the ranks are currently set up uh and and the drafts that we do have that are setting up the adp like etn goes in round four And on ESPN, dude, like he was at pick 72 as of like last Friday. (laughs) So I don't know what's going on. And I don't know if you can honestly get him there. I was asking some people, I'm like, do you guys really get him? Cause I don't draft on ESPN. I was like, do you guys really get him at pick 72? And some people came back and were basically like, um, you know, we just tried to take him by like round four or five. So bottom line to your point, he can be there in round four in those formats. But ETN, I thought your tweet earlier, honestly summed up everything and it was your tweet that hey jacksonville lost the game by 17 points etn only had nine carries for 40 yards but he had seven catches for 63 yards and a touchdown like that that's the point yep this is an party. archetype yeah yeah this is an archetype that we know he's going to get the passing down work right we know he's explosive that's what we're looking for and that just insulates you in so many ways it means if your offense is bad but you're explosive you can score touchdowns from from still from far out right so you still can score touchdowns you don't have to have carries inside the five you can still get the carries inside the five but then the other part is if you are going to be trailing all the time we're going to be like down swift right etn's yeah. gonna be on the field he's going to be catching the passes trevor lawrence had the number one checkdown rate in the nfl last year doesn't mean it stays that way he also had this thing called receivers not getting open yeah. so that can be a challenge as well but there's just so much to love about ETN. And I, I think, you know, that's really it in the nutshell. He has the profile we're looking for. going to get the passing down work. He's explosive playmaker. Um, if the Jack and here, what if the Jaguars somehow do take a step forward, right? And they're a little bit better. And now he gets more touchdown upside. I just feel like Travis, I, it's funny because I hear a lot of folks like on media, on social media. And the thing I'll hear is, man, Travis ETN, he's just such a thin bet. And what people mean by thin bet, they think there's no margin for error with where you're getting him in round three. I'm the total opposite. I think you're buying him at his floor in round three because of what he's going to do in the passing game work, right? Assuming he doesn't get hurt. Because our my uh, projection for ETN, my ranking of ETN, assumes right now, assumes that James Robinson's getting like half the carries. Yeah. And Travis Etienne still grading as a round three back. So I feel like folks that say he's thin, they're double counting. They haven't really probably gone through the legwork of really thinking through where Etienne fits, what kind of profile does he have, what profiles historically have hit for us and hit these big outcomes. I think once you piece, and not to say these other people aren't smart, they really are, and maybe they have something I haven't thought about. But once you piece the whole profile together, it's really, really hard to not smash Travis Etienne every time he's there in round three.
0: We got those reports last summer that Urban Meyer was just having ETN straight up practice with the wide receivers and I still think people's brains like are in a pretzel from trying to like decipher what that meant and stuff like Dwayne we were getting Summer reports like, could a Debo Samuel role be on the table for Travis Etienne? He's a running back and he's actually an explosive three down option that we saw do it at Clemson, man. Like, this is not Naeem Hines or JD McKissick out here. Like, the best case scenario for Etienne is not the Debo Samuel role, it's the Christian McCaffrey never leave the field because you don't have to roll. I and mean, it sure seems like something like the Andre Swift, man. I think, like, the worst-case scenario, man, is probably something like what Chase Edmonds was giving us last season where shitty touchdown luck. It's an offense that does a good job maybe getting them the ball uh, in in space and everything, but we just don't see, you know, maybe the chunk touchdowns we were hoping for, and we get, like, a low-end kind of PPR-specific RB2 that's not going to completely kill you. And the upside is just so much more here. I continue to get all the Travis ETM anytime he's there late end of round three and not to go on a big
1: tangent, but like what you said just there, uh, honestly, like if I had to pick one back that goes later, that's potentially the ETN arbitrage play, you named him it's chase Edmonds.
0: Ooh. Yeah. That's one of the uh, and actually, Dwayne, how to record this podcast uh, next. But there are a, a handful of backfields in the preseason where it's like, let's find out if there's going to be two or three running backs involved. Because I mean, there is a chance in Miami if we go ahead and see Chase Edmonds is the one, Raheem Mostert, you know, spelling him as an early down option. As an early down option, there's only two running backs there. Man, that's fantastic. The problems will come if Sony Michelle and Miles Gaskin and whoever else is on that roster at the moment, you know, turn this into a three or four headed committee. But hey. People that can catch the ball and then go make big plays, Dwayne. Like, is uh, th- that sounds pretty good to me.
1: <laughs> yep. PPR, half PPR, especially. If you're looking at ETN in a standard league, it's fine to bump him down a little bit. But remember, still running backs still dominate that. The, the yeah. challenge is more of his points are going to come from the catches than some of the other backs. So like in a format like that, you move a player like Nick Chubb. So th- right now I will take Travis ETN over Nick Chubb in a PPR. Yeah. But if you put me in a standard league, I'm all day taking Nick Chubb over Travis Etienne. So that's the other part where you got to know your, uh, just got to know your format.
0: Side note, Dwayne, have you ever played in a points per carry league? Cause I get questions on these sometimes and I, I, I haven't, I would hate myself if I did. Like, what are we doing rewarding a point for a carry? It doesn't take actual skill.
1: I do get those questions. Um, I usually, sorry, y'all. I just don't answer them. <laughs> I don't know what answer to I don't have enough. I just haven't thought through it enough. I mean, it seems pretty straightforward, but uh, yeah, I don't like, I don't, I don't like the idea either. <laughs> it
0: just makes me nervous. All right, Dwayne, you have <laughs> two honorable mentions here just due to an age thing. And it, yeah, that's it the is, only reason. Right. So Leonard Fournette, 27, Alvin Kamara, 27. Still guys that, you know, we're not saying fade by any stretch of the imagination. And just because we haven't named someone here doesn't mean that, you know, we're fading that player. Again, don't hate the player, hate the ADP. Just right. In terms of just checking as many boxes as possible, it's going to, head, going, going to go ahead and be Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, DeAndre Swift, Saquon Barkley. Those are the rounds two and three targets if they fall in the right spot.
1: Right. Yeah. And Fournette and Kamara are fine. They can be part of that mix. They can be part of an RBRBRB RB, RB build. Like I'm not as crazy about mixing. I'm not, there there are backs that I'm not as crazy about that I did leave out of the article. doesn't mean you have to be a full on fade with them, but they don't fit this particular profile. So Fournette, you know, the challenge for him is he just, you know, it's, it, and it's the age isn't a killer. Like, you know, I've gone back now and looked at all these players. There's a lot of guys that produce at age 27. So I'm not saying he's at a cliff. He just didn't meet the criteria from, you know, those huge seasons that we had seen. And it kind of matches what we've seen with his underlying talent profile. Like it's good, but not great. Right. It, you know, Fournette's not like this hyper explosive player, but on the Bucs, man, you could score 20 rushing touchdowns. So, <laughs> I mean, there's different ways to get there. And the only reason we're getting a discount on Kamara is people are uncertain. Right. Yep. They just don't know what's happening. So you're just buying the discount on the uncertainty around the legal case with Camara.
0: To end the uh, lovely article that, again, you can find on PFF.com, Dwayne goes through early position builds, middle position builds, and late position builds, rounds one through nine, just showing that you can go RB, 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 and still have plenty of wide receiver, tight end, and quarterback talent available in these ranges. I mean, Dwayne, and we've talked about it, really, rounds seven through 11, if you wanted to stretch it more, there's still viable players at each and every position out there. So it really is – I was talking to Justin Herzig about this uh, best ball mania winner a couple years ago. So it's different with uh, underdog, but sometimes people have these certain builds stuck in their head. Like I, you know, you need to have two quarterbacks, uh, six running backs, seven wide receivers, two tight ends. It's more of a best ball thing, but the thing Justin and I were talking about, man, like people will take one look at the final build numbers and like it could be like a round 17 decision that like made sense, but because of, now you you have one less wide receiver than you were hoping for, people are looking at it funky when it could have been you know between Zay Jones and like Deontay Foreman or something like that. I think it's more important, Dwayne, to have your lineup thresholds for like the ra- end of round 11 because once you get to a certain point in the late rounds, like what are we even doing here? We can't feel nearly as confident about those guys having the right amount of players at the right positions in rounds one through nine rounds, one through 11. To me, that's far more important to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah. I think the cutoffs are huge. And and I, I like round 11 because you could still be taking a starter in round 11, like at quarterback, you know, we did it the other night in an FFPC draft. This doesn't mean you have to fill out your starting lineup, you know, with your first eight picks, or your first seven picks, depending on what your lineups need. You may not address quarterback or tight end until round 10 and 11. Like, you know, they're just different ways and it depends on how your board is falling. So yeah, and and just like as far as these builds, you folks can go look at them. But at the end of the day, especially over in the home leagues, man, Allen Robinson still going in, in round six, Michael Thomas going in round seven, Rashad Bateman going in freaking round eight, Kadarius Tony going in round nine. I don't. You probably don't need me to say anything else. Jerry Judy going in round six, Marquise Brown going in round five, Cortland Sutton, Sutton going in round five. Man, if in these other leagues, like you can't pull this off in like FFPC or underdog. Like you can't. You can't get all of those receivers you can still pull this build off but you can't get all that talent that we just talked about so if you're in a home league like man you can just completely smash still at wide receiver even after you start with the three running backs
0: We'll give a quick shout out to some sponsors. Manscaped, the leader in below the waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF on manscaped.com. It's time you enjoy the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package. Also, I'll give a shout out to Underdog Fantasy. The best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 when you you sign up with the promo code PFF and guess what? Play just 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF and you get a free PFS subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to underdogfantasy.com or the app store, play $10 with code PFF and draft your best ball mini team today. And hey, speaking of PFF, right now you can get 25% off any PFS subscription if you use code FANTASY. All of PFS locked article content, football, fantasy football rankings, projections, data and grades, all that and so much more. Support the pod and use promo code FANTASY for 25% off any sub. And finally, if you're still into the NF- NFT thing, the next generation of fantasy sports is here. Download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now. Sign up with promo code PFF. Click the Rainmakers tile and opt in to get your first card free. Plus play for millions in prizes all football season while building the ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers football. That's promo code PFF. Build, play, win only at DraftKings. Contest entries dependent on type and number of NFTs held eligibility. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See for details. I always feel like Dwayne if I you know if I just come if I get canceled or I just lose. Everything in my life, man, I can just be one of those people in the commercials who talks really fast and says the disclaimer shit at the end. So, you know, we got backup options in life, man. You got to feel good about that. At least anything else you want to get off your chest, Mr. McFarlane. Again, people can find your running back, running back, running back wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver strategy articles at PFF.com. I'm guessing you are not done with this series.
1: Uh, No, we're going to be hitting the wide receivers. We're going to be continuing to talk about all the different builds. So, but, but nothing else for this one. We're in a good spot.
0: I'm happy to say, Dwayne, that we proved it's possible that we can actually cover a topic in depth and not talk for over an hour. So, going to try to keep that uh, sort of tempo going here with some of these strategy uh, articles. You know, hope you guys have been enjoying the guests we've had on. We're going to continue to do some of the live drafts, mixing in some other stuff as well. August 10th, man, just about a month away from actual live professional NFL football being back. It's a great day to be great for Dwayne. I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care you <laughs>